0: Radio Influence. The future is now. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is... Wednesday, it's April the 10th, 2019, and before I get started, I want to take this time because I would be remiss, even though I doubt she's listening to this show, uh, to wish a very special person a happy birthday, and that person would be my mother, Alice Hill, who's down in Columbia, South Carolina. Today is her birthday, her burn day, her born day, as a lot of people are calling it nowadays. Uh, today she turned sixty nine so that is a huge milestone. Um, you know over the past few years she's dealt with a few health issues here and here and there, uh, diabetes and a few other issues, but thankfully she's still here um, i I cannot stress the fact of how much I owe her even though we don't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. A lot of views in life. Uh, I owe her tremendously for shaping me into the man that I am. And what I can say is, you know, here I am at 46 years old, and I can still call her for anything, and she'll be right there. And she's come through for me so many times, so many countless times. you know, throughout my life, uh, you know, helping me with my, my kids when I needed help, uh, even to this day, if I need her to drive three and a half hours here to Atlanta to stay with my son for a couple of days, uh, she's always been willing and able to do that. So I cannot thank her enough. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't have their mother in their lives, and I can't even imagine what that would be like. Um, you know, my mom is probably the strongest person I know. Now, I, w- I won't say probably. She is the strongest person I know, and you know, I-, I thank her for everything. I love her. I know we don't say it much amongst each other. Uh, we usually just hang up the phone without saying those three words, but uh, I want to take this time publicly to say happy birthday to my mom, and I love you. And thank you so much for helping me become the man that I am today. I'm not quite where I want to be, but I could be in a much, much worse place. So thank you for that, mom. I love you. Happy birthday. Now, I want to jump into it. Last week, uh, I talked about the upcoming trial of former Minneapolis police officer Muhammad Noor, who, of course, uh, fatally shot Justine Damon back in July of 2017. Uh, She had called 911 to report an alleged sexual assault in the alleyway. Uh, As she approached the patrol car, she was shot and killed by Muhammad Noor. Now, last week we talked about how they were having problems finding a jury. Well, the jury was selected uh, late last week. That trial has begun. Opening statements were I believe yesterday, and the first witness on the stand for the prosecution was her fiance, uh, Don Damon. She had actually taken his name before they got married for uh, business reasons, I believe. Uh, but you know, he talked about how he heard of the news of his fiance being killed, and he was actually the last person to talk to her because she called him after she called 911 uh, the second time. Um, to report this alleged sexual assault. So that trial's underway, underway, uh, nor he's charged with manslaughter and murder in her shooting death. Uh, of course, the prosecution says he acted recklessly. Of course, the defense says he was acting in self-defense and he did what was reasonable at that time, because, you know, even his partner said that. The noise and seeing this figure outside uh, the window of the patrol car actually startled him. Of course, his partner did not fire, um, but uh, whatever went on in that car, I guess, led Mohammed Noor to believe there was a threat going on. So he did exactly what he thought at that time was reasonable. Now, Noor, keep in mind, has never given a statement to investigators. Uh, the shooting happened almost two years ago. He's never given a statement to investigators. So I'm curious to see if he will uh, take the stand in this trial. Now, this is a trial essentially fighting for his life here because you know, you're know you facing murder and manslaughter. If you found guilty on both, I doubt you'll get out of prison You know, unless there's some appeal process that you're successful with. So uh, I would... <laughs> personally say he really needs to take the stand to uh, tell his side of the story because, you know, as a a juror sitting in that courtroom, I would definitely want to know what was your mindset in those split seconds before you uh, unholstered your weapon and shot uh, through the police car window to shoot uh, Justine Damon. I would personally want to hear that Information, um, But if not, you know, I think it's going to rely, you know, really just on the, the testimony of his partner who was inside that car at the time. There was no body camera footage. The only body cam footage is that after the shooting, uh, there's no dash cam footage. You know, there's no um, cell phone video from bystanders. There's no surveillance footage from the surrounding areas because this was in an alley. So. Really, the only thing you have to go on is the statements of the officers, particularly, in my opinion, nor uh, what he thought was an imminent threat at that time, what he thought was reasonable at that time. But uh, it looks like this trial is probably going to move pretty quick, pretty fast pace. Um, I don't see this being a long, drawn drawn out trial uh, for sure, because, again, you really don't have a lot of evidence to go on. Uh, You know, it's not like the jury's going to have to watch surveillance footage or uh, body cam footage or uh, cell camera footage. There's really not a lot of evidence here besides what led up to the shooting, the shooting itself in the aftermath, the 911 call, the shooting itself in the aftermath. Of course, I'm sure the prosecution and the defense will call Expert witnesses to talk about police training, to talk about what's reasonable, uh, things of that nature. But as far as a lot of like evidence that the jury has to pile through, it's just not there. So I don't expect this trial to go on too long. But of course, I'm following it. I will update you as I get more information. Of course, as I always do. Now, speaking of reasonable um, California. Uh, and this comes as no surprise really is trying to pass a bill that would, uh, strict when police could use force more specifically when they could use deadly force. Of course, this is in wake of the shooting of, uh, not Laquan McDonald, that was Chicago. Sorry. The shooting of Stephen Clark, uh, who was shot back in March of, uh, 2018, I believe, uh, I'm not sure the exact date, I apologize, but uh, at any rate, Stephen Clark was shot by two Sacramento police officers, of course, just in the past uh, couple of weeks, those officers were on trial, um, they were found not guilty in that shooting death, and it came down to um, what the officers believed was a reasonable a threat against their lives because the body cam footage, you know, whether you agree with the shooting or not, the body cam footage does show uh, Stephen Clark point something at or in the direction of police officers. It's late at night, it's dark, uh, they're in this backyard. So, of course, you can hear on the body cam footage audio police say, gun, gun, gun after saying, show me your hand, show me your hands, gun, gun, gun. And then the shots ring out. Uh, Stephen Clark was shot eight times. Of course he died there on the scene. Uh, so now, uh, the state of California is saying that they want to change that where police have to use better judgment when, uh, using deadly force. So, uh, a lot of, uh, people that do the job, actually oppose this bill. Um, And, you know, if you haven't done that job, there's a difference. You know, the bill essentially says what's reasonable versus what's necessary. But where's that fine line between the two of what's reasonable and what's necessary? Uh, Of course, you know, in 1989, the Supreme Court in the state of California changed the uh, previous laws which allow police officers to use deadly force when arresting persons charged with a felony or people who are fleeing from justice or resisting arrest. They changed it to, they could use lethal force if it's justified. Suspect, if it's reasonable, the officer a reasonable officer would have acted in the same way, uh, in the same situation. But what's reasonable for one may not be reasonable for another, which is, one part of the issue here and when you talk reasonable versus necessary where's that fine line essentially what california is asking is that if police are in this situation that they give the individual space to uh, either come to a better decision of what they're doing or for police to be able to say Let's reassess. Do we need to continue? Do we need to escalate this to a point where it could lead to deadly force? Well, reasonable versus necessity. Here's where the problem lies. You can't distinguish the two in split seconds. You, you just can't do it. And, and let's, let's look at this space thing, if you will, because th- they're saying the necessity has to be to defend against imminent death or severe harm. Now let's look at what sparked the Stephen Clark. Now granted, he was killed in the backyard of his grandmother's house. A, in those split seconds in that backyard, the police did not know that was Stephen Clark's home. Now let's back up a little bit. Police received the calls about an individual breaking into cars. Police searched the area they see stephen clark he flees he attempts to break into another car this is all captured by police helicopter he's breaking into cars he's running from police he runs into a backyard towards a door that police do not know is his grandmother's house now let's play devil's advocate here and say it wasn't his grandmother's house and he was just attempting to elude to go into this home to escape police. It happens. It has happened when I was chasing people, people run into other people's places to escape police. So it it happens. Anybody that doesn't think it happens, you obviously have no idea of what police go through and what they see on a daily basis. So let's say at that moment when police visually saw Stephen Clark and he started fleeing and they say, well, let's give him some space to... Let him decide if he wants to change his ways, if he wants to turn himself in, if he wants to give up and uh, lay on the ground, let's give him some space and we're just going to sit back here because we don't want this to escalate to a deadly force situation. Now, let's just say again that this wasn't his grandmother's house. He's fleeing from police, police stop chasing typically when someone's running from police they don't look back to see how close police are it's not like you see in the movies oh let me turn around and see how close they are doesn't work that way when someone's running from police they just haul ass and they go and even after police have stopped chasing someone because it's happened to me both on foot and in a car even after i've stopped chasing someone they continue to run because they assume maybe there's another police officer coming or something. I still got to get away. So back to what I was saying, police in that situation in Sacramento, they stop chasing Stephen Clark. He keeps running. He goes into this home and the homeowner's like, what the heck is going on? And they get into a scuffle and he shoots and kills the homeowner or he takes a knife out of the kitchen and stabs a homeowner or he beats the homeowner to death because the homeowner was startled and approached Stephen Clark to try to protect their home. And then the police are now held liable for what happened inside that home with the death of the homeowner because they did not protect and serve the community. So where is the fine line between reasonable and necessity? Because you can say it's reasonable to continue to chase someone that has broken into several cars, attempted to break into another car, and it's reasonable because crimes have been committed. There are victims to those crimes who would need justice for the damages done to their property. So it would still be reasonable for the police to chase someone who had done that just let that sink in for a second if we start getting to a point where you say oh i'm going to call the police because someone's breaking into cars and then police show up and a suspect flees and you say well i can't give chase because this individual could run into a backyard where it's dark point something at me that appears to be a gun." And in that split second where I don't have time to say, sir, is that a cell phone or is that a gun? And I have to shoot them, then I could be charged with murder because I didn't give them the space to let them make better decisions. So what would then be the point of calling police if police cannot give chase? Because essentially what this bill does, in my opinion, in California, if it's passed, essentially what it will do is allow criminals to have open reign. Let that sink in. It will allow criminals to have open reign because if if I'm a bad guy and I know if police show up and all I got to do is run because they're going to have to give me space because they can say, well, there's no imminent threat of death or severe harm, then I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and commit crimes without any fear of justice because police hands are tied. And the minute you start tying hands of police is the minute crime goes up. Remember, I talked about this in uh, Baltimore. I talked about it in uh, St. Louis, where all of these lawmakers and, and, and groups were yelling about police reform and Everything else, and what happened? Police became reactive versus proactive. And what happened in cities like Baltimore, the crime after Freddie Gray went up because police felt like their hands were tied from doing their job. So, anytime you start making these types of changes to tie the hands of police, your crime rate is going to go up now. California in itself, places like Sacramento and Oakland and L.A., it's not like the crime rate is the best anyway. So if you pass this law that essentially says it can't be reasonable, it has to be necessary, then I'm telling you, mark my words, crime is going to skyrocket and we can have this debate about it only happening in in certain communities where police are using deadly force. We know that's not true. The numbers don't show it, but in a city like Salt Lake City, Utah, where Dylan Taylor, the unarmed white teen, was shot and killed by a white police officer, your crime rate really isn't going up because police their hands are not tied. Because even though the death of Dylan Taylor was tragic, and if You've seen the body cam footage of it. It's very gruesome, even for me. Overwhelmingly, the, 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 the public understands the necessity of police. They understand the, the, the necessity of police effectively doing their jobs. And I think they understand how, in a split second, an officer has to make that decision to say, uh oh, this is a life or death situation against myself or the public, or if this individual gets away, that they could do harm to someone else. So California, again, it doesn't surprise me that they're trying to pass this. But here's my fear. If it passes in California, it could start setting a precedent across the nation. Now, for some, that would be great because they would assume that it would end all of their so-called problems and it would stop police shootings like immediately and police shootings would stop. But that wouldn't be the case because you still have those life and death situations. You have traffic stops right now. 13 police officers have lost their lives to gunfire this year and countless others have been shot. Countless others are in critical condition right now. Still, Two individuals here in Georgia were shot uh, last week in a standoff, which was a domestic situation. They're still recovering from those situations. So let's take that for instance. Police are called to that domestic. Well, let's give this individual space even though we know he has hostages. Let's give him some space to make better decisions. Or let's give him some space where we don't have to use deadly force. But the problem is There was already blood there on the scene. The officer could see the female laying on the floor covered in a pool of blood. So at that point, was it reasonable? Was it a necessity? Which one was it? When the officer was shot in the face during a traffic stop, where was this opportunity to provide this space for this individual? (laughs) And then once the individual fled and the other officers gave chase because This individual on this traffic stop had just shot an officer in the face. Would it have been reasonable to say, let's just let him go. Let's give him some space. Or would it have been reasonable to give chase because there is that imminent threat that you could harm someone else or you can harm another officer? I guess my bigger point is I don't think there's anything in between That would help you as an officer in real time situations determine, well, is this reasonable or is it a necessity? Because in two seconds, what's considered reasonable has now become a necessity. In two minutes, what's considered reasonable has now become a necessity. In 20 minutes, what's considered reasonable can now become a necessity. And I go back back to Stephen Clark. That whole incident occurred over an eight minute time period In eight minutes. What now in the state of California, they want to consider reasonable and giving someone space could have turned into, again, if that wasn't his grandmother's house. And he did attempt to get in that house in those eight minutes. It could have gone from it's reasonable. It's not reasonable. Let's give him some space to it's a necessity. But the only problem is the officers wouldn't have been there to protect and serve that homeowner, if that homeowner would have came out and approached Stephen Clark, would it have been reasonable to let him go and to give him space? And then it turned into a necessity because now the homeowner is in danger, but the police are no longer there. And then it's not like the homeowner would have been able to call police if they're in a confrontation with this person that just broke into their home to try to get away from Police, So, there, you know, in, in my opinion, you, you can't put one with the other in policing. I mean, you can do that maybe in your office job. Is it reasonable to make 500 copies or is it a necessity to make 500 copies? Is it reasonable to have this meeting at 830 in the morning or is it a necessity to have it at 830 in the morning because people haven't had their coffee yet and people hadn't had uh, eaten their Chick-fil-A yet? But. In in policing, when you're in that office, you can't sit here and say, well, it's reasonable necessity. It's reasonable that I let this person go. We'll catch him later. Uh-oh, 20 minutes later, he just shot two people because you let him go. 20 minutes later, he just carjacked someone because he's still running in fear that you're chasing or that you will find him. Uh Oh, five minutes later, he knocked over an old lady because he was still running. And that old lady fell to the ground, hit her head on the curb and she died. Uh Oh, because we gave him space because that's what you wanted us to do. But now this 90 year old lady is now dead and we can't charge this person with homicide because we don't know who he is because we didn't apprehend him because we needed to give him space because it wasn't a necessity at that point to get the situation under control. It wasn't a necessity at that point because he didn't pose an imminent threat to us or to the public. But now this 90 year old lady is now dead because he was fleeing and he knocked her over and she's so brittle that she hit her head on the curb and she died. So, Uh, If anybody thinks this law will work to reduce deadly force, maybe it will in in the sense that officers are just going to give up. They're just going to you want to tie our hands. Fine. Mark our words. Your crime rates will go up. And then what's going to happen? Don't call us when you need us because we can't do anything Anyway, and it's going to be the wild, wild west. People are just going to be out in California, and if this passes and it gets approved and it starts setting a precedent, people are going to be out all over the country, and your crime rate's going to go up, your shooting rate's going to go up. I mean, people are still getting shot and killed left and right in the city of Chicago every day, all day. Even in Sacramento, there's shootings. Even in Baltimore, people are getting killed daily. Ferguson, St. Louis... New York, you name it, anywhere where we've heard these types of cases, anywhere where people have pushed for police reform and laws like this that tie the hands of police, your crime rate continues to go up. So what does it prove? And I can't stress this enough. It goes back to what I always say. While we can point the fingers at police, we can point the fingers at policies, we can point the fingers at race, we can point the fingers at gender, we can point the fingers at aliens, we can point the fingers at uh, anything. What we need to start doing and we can point the finger at police reform, what we need to start doing across this country, in every community, because like I said, black people aren't the only ones getting shot by police. Black people aren't the only ones getting shot by white police. Let's make that clear. What we need to start doing across this country is teaching people how to deal with police and what we need to start doing in this country and start talking crime reform. What opportunities could lead to less crime where police don't have to get called out, where police don't have to think about using deadly force when approaching a situation. Think about that. If, there's no crime, guess what? Police will not show up because there's no need for them to show up, right? If there's no reports of crime, police don't need to show up. If your crime rate goes down, your police presence goes down. If your crime rate in a certain demographic community goes down, then guess what? The bad guy, the white police officer, his presence goes down, right? Or you could start focusing on real stuff like community-oriented policing, where police come out like they did when I was a kid. McGruff the crime dog, they come out to your school, they talk about policing, they talk about things going on in the neighborhood, they talk about all of this, but as your crime is at a peak, police don't have the time or the resources to do that because their resources are being used to combat crime. So again, we can point fingers here and there. We can say, let's change this policy. Let's make it, uh, let's change it from reasonable to necessity. We can have all of that, but again, there's no magic wand. There's no, um, reaching in the bowl and pulling out a lucky number to determine reasonable versus necessity when you're talking split seconds. It just doesn't exist in policing. So until we start having those conversations, then we're going to still have a situation. You can pass any bill you want to, but uh, until we start having those real conversations, unfortunately, people are still going to be shot and killed by police and police are still going to be shot and killed by individuals so reasonable necessity when you're getting shot at by a suspect because again 13 people 13 police officers this year shot and killed and countless others shot and recovering there is no fine line between reasonable and necessity now with that said it's time for my 10 7 segment and guess what this police officer that I'm going to honor, Deputy Sheriff Peter Herrera, El Paso County Sheriff's Office, end of watch, Sunday, March 24th, 2019, guess what? He was shot and killed. Deputy Sheriff Peter Herrera succumbed to wounds sustained when he was shot after pulling over a vehicle at 1.50 a.m. Where was that reasonable time to give that individual space? Think about that. He had stopped the vehicle for a registration violation near the corner of Chicken Ranch Road and Socorro Road. He approached the car and asked the driver to step out. As the driver exited the vehicle, he fired 15 rounds, striking Deputy Herrera multiple times. You see how fast stuff can escalate? Reasonable necessity. Deputy Herrera did not have an opportunity to draw his own weapon. He did not have an opportunity to draw his own weapon but that was a necessity for him to draw his own weapon to protect his life. The driver and the passenger then fled the scene in the vehicle, but it stalled after several blocks. The two then fled on foot, but were located and apprehended a short time later by responding deputies. The driver was charged with first degree murder. A civilian and members of the U.S. Border Patrol and El Paso County Sheriff's Office provided aid to Deputy Herrera, he was transported to a local hospital in critical condition where he succumbed to his wounds two days later. Deputy Herrera had served with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office for 11 years. He is survived by his wife. 13 officers shot and killed this year. Multiple others shot and wounded this year. That number is going to continue to rise. We saw record numbers of police officers killed in the line of duty last year. But what laws are we changing to protect police officers, those that are charged with protecting and serving the community, but rather the public is more concerned with focusing their anger, their distaste on the police officers that are charged with protecting and serving. But nobody's speaking out for police officers all across this country something seriously wrong here if we think that's okay if we're not talking about solutions that will reduce crime rather pointing the finger at police there's something wrong here let that sink in in the meantime I want to thank you for listening so much as always I love you I appreciate you and I will see you next week same time same place right here radioinfluence.com To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. Hey, friends, you spoke and we listened. It's time for you to get your frank and beans fix on the Dark to Light podcast. Not one, not two, but three days a week. Sit with Frank and I as we dissect the corruption of the swamp, walk the tightrope of acceptable and share our opinion and analysis on politics, culture and even add in an awesome guest host or two or three or whatever strikes us in the moment. The Dark Delight podcast airs every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts and RadioInfluence.com.